Welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist Radio Show with host Karen Rands. A compassionate capitalist is someone who invests their money into entrepreneur endeavors to bring innovation to the market and create wealth for all those involved. Karen shares insights and best practices for entrepreneurs to succeed and investors to share in that success without all the risks. And now. So welcome to the Compassionate Capitalist podcast. And if you're watching on video, the video as well. I'm very excited about my topic and my guest today, because as you know, for those that listen to this show on a regular basis, what we do is we talk about the journey for investors. The whole reason why I wrote the book was for new investors to, if you're, if you're not seeing me wave behind my head, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing is the book. And one of the reasons why I wrote that is for, to make it easier for people that are interested in becoming angel investors to get the fundamentals and learn how to do that when they've not done it before and they're not necessarily part of a group to learn how to do that. And a lot of time, and a real target area is for people that come out of corporate world or come out of their own entrepreneur experiences and decide to sit on the other side of the table. And so my guest today brings all that to it, but, and even more because she's got two, I guess, check pluses in her category. One, she's a fe- has been a female entrepreneur, she's a female investor, and she brings the Latina experience to all of this, which I think, I think you might very well be, Renata, my first Latina to talk about investing and, and you know, on the entrepreneur side of that. So I'm really interested to get into that. So of course, my guest is, Ren- is Renata Marino, and uh, let me tell you a little bit about her so you can be all excited about how we're, where we're going to go with this. So with a 25-year career built on personal experiences from early days in an all-girl high school and the cultural influences as a Latina, Renata's professional experience with innovation and product development gave her a passion for entrepreneurism, which led to launching three startups and serving as a CMO in the fourth. This led her to the world of venture as an angel investor, and she's currently serving as a venture investment scout for the Going VC Partners. She's the founder and chairman for the Blazing Babes, which is a women's professional network group and an, up in, I guess, in Chicago, and an active member of the Chicago tech startup community and a member of the Latin Incubator Program through 1871, which is one of Chicago's premier technology entrepreneurship centers. So thank you very much for being on the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for having me. It's an honor. So I always like to have my guests connect the dots, right? Because, you know, you go from, and your, and your bio on your LinkedIn is, um, is very interesting in how you lay that out the boldness that you got from being in a, a going to a, a girl's high school, you know, having the world experiences, world traveling. But, you know, even when it comes from, you know, how'd you go from, cor- did, from corporate world or, you know, college to corporate to being an entrepreneur to a VC, sort of where, where did you always have a passion for sort of figuring out, breaking new grounds and innovation. You know, you were obviously is blazing the way as a, as a, a woman leader in, in these fields. Has it always been there? You always sort of like, when you were a little girl, did you go, someday I'm gonna do this kind of stuff and it, and it just happened? Or did you have an aha moment when you were 
you know, sitting at your desk at eight o'clock at night in the corporate thing going, there's got to be a better life. Tell tell our listeners about that. Um, yeah, no, I think um, I've built, I think I've, my journey's been built on one experience after the other. And I just, I kind of tell people I follow the light. I call it the true north. So I feel like we all have different experiences and, you know, we don't know what we want to be when we grow up, when we're little, little kids. Um, but I think a couple things. I think my family, so my parents are immigrants, my dad's Mexican, and you know, they chose to raise us in Boston. And it was, I'm the oldest of three girls, so we were immigrants. So we came to a very white upper class um, neighborhood, and we were the only one of three Latin families. So I think um, my parents wanted, um, uh, my dog is going crazy. So hold on one second. Um, my parents wanted um, us to, they basically earned their wealth and poured all their wealth into our education. So I think that they wanted us to succeed and they knew that education was a tool um, to give not just learn, learning, but also network. And so they, they poured everything. And I think that, that they, we were raised to, that girls can do anything. And so we were, were never like, this is the girl job. This is a boy job. You can play. So I mean, I played soccer. My my cousins in Mexico, all the girls, they were like, are you crazy? That's a boy sport. And this was back in the early 80s. Um, and so I think that's that having that upbringing propelled me to go after things that I wanted, regardless if it was male dominated or not. Um, and then that, that drive has been consistent through my entire career. And in terms of um, my journey, you know, I, I, um, being in an all girls middle school and high school, I was quiet when I first started. When I maybe sixth, seventh grade, I was kind of shy and didn't want to speak up. Um, and I think that's when my parents put me in a in an all girls school. And I think being in a smaller environment where um, community and leadership was um, emphasized in young women and taking risks was encouraged in terms of you know speaking up, speaking out, raising your hand um, in, a, in a safe space um, was the, the impetus for me to feel confident throughout my later high school years and into college. Yeah, so good. So, you know, women have traditionally faced challenges in breaking into boardrooms. You know, it, it's really, really been fairly recent that you've seen very much women presence in the venture capital space. So, you know, you've talked about sort of leading the way and being a leader. Were there pivot points and any particular opportunity doors opened or hurdles you had to overcome to being who, who you are in the venture capital space? Yeah, I think my journey started in investment banking right out of undergrad. I went to Bowdoin College in Maine and then graduated, and I kind of followed a very male-dominated space in investment banking. Um, I was two women out of 30. That was 1997. And I remember there were three other analysts, male analysts. I was the only female. And one was like a Tuck, I mean, I'm sorry, Dartmouth, Emory, and Harvard. And I remember two things happening. I remember having to feel like I had to play catch up um, being a female. And I took night school. I went to night school and took accounting and statistics because I didn't have that background. So I always felt like I wanted to be prepared and, and 
in a conversation. Like if I was in a conference room, I didn't understand what debit credit meant. I didn't understand the present value of money. I'm like, I got to learn this. So secretly at night, I would take classes. And I think as women, we always feel like we have to be better prepared, twice as prepared, three times as prepared than our male counterparts. And I felt that throughout my career. And then, you know, leaving banking after four years, I had um, banking is an up or out situation where if you don't get your MBA, you know, you're, either, you're not going to get promoted again. So you're just going to stay. Um, and so I applied to the top five business schools when I was 26. I actually got rejected from all of them. I got waitlisted at Booth, but then rejected. So I was humiliated because everyone else got in. All the men got in and I didn't. And I think, um, you know, it was like leaving. I left because I was so ashamed because all the partners knew I was applying. And I read this book called What Color Is Your Parachute? And it identifies your skill sets and your, um, and your passions, your hobbies. And it led me to Reebok. And it was 1999. And I called it the dot-com phase. And now it's called tech. But I worked for the CEO at age 26 for a tech project in 1999 and that really opened my eyes to tech and um innovation and so that was my first glimpse at innovation and tech in, a, in the footwear industry but again it's an industry and i think i encourage other women when the door slams in your face there are other doors yeah. and it could even be better doors so i would say that was my first glimpse at and, and back then, there was no like venture capital. I mean, maybe there was, but it wasn't a popular thing. There was no really startup. I mean, it, it was, but not as popular as now. So I just learned from, and I knew that that being in innovation, being in tech, and, 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 and being in the cutting edge technology was where I wanted to be. Reapplied to business school, got into Booth with partial merit-based scholarship. So again, the door closed on day one, but a, you know, a year later, I ended up getting scholarship and wow. also additional experience. So I encourage all women not to give up yeah. after doors closed. So that's great. I like that, that part of that story. So um, do you, what do you see, you know, the fast forward, what, 10, 20 years later now, do you, what, what challenges do you see facing the community of women entrepreneurs today? I know we've come a long way back. I remember uh, probably 20 years ago, at least 15 years ago, it was probably one of the most profound. I always thought, you know, money's green, right? If, if, if an entrepreneur can succeed, and we're going to talk about minority-owned businesses here in a second, but if an entrepreneur has a great idea, they've got the ability to, to like execute on it, they've come up with this, you know, investors are going to invest because, you know, they just, they don't, they, money is green, green is green. And then I came to find out that there are biases that, a predominantly white male investor level of people, angels as well as VCs that had dominated it for so long, there's a bias that they come to the table with. And uh, this one particular company, she had invented before that we were doing mobile apps, a way to take uh, commerce sites like apparel commerce sites and make them usable on a mobile phone because mobile phones were just starting to come out and her background was the garment industry. And so um, when she stood up there and she talked about her opportunity and a lot of times you'll tell uh, entrepreneurs, you know, 
you don't do, don't do the hockey stick. You got to be realistic about, you know, your growth and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, they want to know that you're in a big market and, you know, kind of like sometimes a mixed message. Anyhow, she got up there and she talked about it and she didn't get the level of, in, uh, of excitement that I thought she was going to get. And she'd already raised some money and she was already in business with this app. You know, she already had like Macy's as a customer or something. And um, I asked the investors afterwards, well, why was it that you weren't interested in that? And she, they said, well, because it's a much bigger opportunity than what she said. And we, we therefore, we don't have confidence that she's the one that could actually lead the company to be able to do that because she's not bold enough. And I told her that and she was like, you know, I didn't think they would believe me when I said how big the marketplace was, right? So that was a lesson learned of women being bold, but now there's incubators and all these things and women are learning that they can step up and take a seat at the table. They can lean in, they can do all of those kinds of things. So to my question, what do you see are the challenges facing the community of women entrepreneurs today? Are there still some of that lingering there or is it a whole new set of challenges? Um, well, I do think that there's data uh, historically and current day that women are asked a lot more questions um, than their male counterparts. I think that a lot is on, um, you know, it, rather than what's the opportunity, like what, like more negative. And I think we're just more, and again, this goes back to me saying we have to be triple prepared. I think a lot of, there's data out there. I think BCG just came out with a report a couple of years ago that uh, for every dollar invested in a female founder, they, the ROI is, don't quote me on this, but it's close to like 78 cents. Whereas on a male counter, a white male is 31 cents. Oh yeah. And that's because this, because we are scrutinized as little girls, as, as young girls going up that we have to be triple prepared because arrows are darted at us. We're leading cross-functional teams in a global environment, I was questioned multiple times by men who were not as educated or experienced as I was and asking me like, why should I listen to you versus my male counterpart not? So I think we have to be triple prepared. Even pitching to an executive board, um, you know, I've had to be triple prepared with numbers and data and saying, I already talked to that customer, they said they're in. So um, I think um, what happens with when, when, when People on the other side of the fence, I call it the other side of the fence, venture capital, don't look like us. They question us. And I think that now more and more women are, you know, you would say like, I want, I wish all white men, male VCs would hire female, female fund managers, not just a junior person to fill a quota, but actually someone who's going to write checks and actually making sure that these women that are on the other side of the fence do can write checks. They're not just there to fill a quota. They actually, it's in their contract that they have to bring in deals and they are writing checks um, because they're going to actually access an entirely new pool of deal flow right. that it's not a charity check. It's actually like, is there product market fit? Are you generating revenue? Like, let me, let me look at the team. And I think that men, traditional old school, stodgy, all white men, and I'm, I'm not an anti-all white man, but say, <laughs> they need, if they want to return the fund, they need to diversify their portfolio. And I'm not talking about just bringing in a woman. I'm talking about their deal flow because more female founders are going to resonate with the female partner and feel more comfortable. And, you know, it's going to be, the tables are going to be turned where the founders are not going to even want to work with the VC. 
So I think that the smart VCs are the ones that are diversifying their at the top because they want to win with the fund. So the, the funds that don't have the diversity of skill sets and of ethnicity and of male, female are going to be the funds that are going to lose. Right. Oh, yeah. Okay. So with that, that's a great transition into um, sort of this, the, this shift, right? Because uh, I did a series of, of calls or of podcasts about um, stepping up to the plate and, and diversifying portfolios and the way you're still going to have the bar of what metrics they have to meet in order to invest in them. But, um, you know, and I, and fortunately I have seen that this year, you know, a significant more where, and, it, and maybe it's because of the pandemic and having these virtual opportunities. So it's easier to announce something on email and get a diversity of entrepreneurs to present to a diversity of investors because they don't have to travel. They can just carve out those hour, two hours, and they don't have all the other stuff that they do. So they're more inclined to participate. So, you know, do, talk a little bit about, because I know this is an area that you're focused in on your own investments was to gain deal flow. It's like, I, and so, so to, you know, how, I guess the question is how, how do people that want to invest in that set themselves up so they will attract more of that. They can establish a trust factor with those minority owned, women owned, diverse businesses that they will want to go through the process with that, that source of capital. Uh, and, and then and just talk to that first. And then second, um, to the investors that are listening, how might they be able to introspectively assess if they have a bias that's making them judge an opportunity unfairly because that person doesn't look like them? Yeah, I think the first, to answer the first part of that question, I think the number one thing for people who want to invest or to even establish a rapport with founders, so founders want to work with a, an investor, what, at least what I've done is, and I'm big on personal brand. So I own a women's networking company and I always talk to my members about having a personal brand. I think, and, and this is kind of relates, I'm going to put a plug in for Going VC because it really opened my eyes to um, really honing in some of the um, creating, crafting, like, what are you good at? What is your passion about? Like, actually, if you want to be an investor, like related to your background, like, what are you good at? What are you passionate? What area do, are you an expert at? And in my case, it's health, fitness, wellness, and sports tech. So it's very is related to my operational background. So I think creating this personal brand and, and knowing that it, that that experience from the operation side or deals that you've done or even just working in corporate or working with other in this space, as well as your network, like you know, you know, in my case, I know some former pro athletes that invest. I know some ex-execs from Nike, Reebok, New Balance that have shared deal flow with me and they, they would invest. Um, so it's correlating your network with your experience and creating your own personal brand and then once you're kind of known for that space, like writing about it, sharing it on LinkedIn, maybe you launch a blog, maybe you do a podcast, like what you're doing and just kind of be an expert. That's going to take time. It's going to be like a good, you know, 12 to 18 months, maybe even two years to, to establish that. And people start sharing deal flow with you. I mean, people start saying, Hey, I know you, you know, these people can you, and you're really good at this. Can you talk to this founder? And then founders talk to other founders and they're like, Renata is the 
you're not as a person. Like go to her, she knows a lot and she can advise you. And the other thing I would say is pay it forward. Um, do a lot of things for free because you care. And I think the founders really appreciate that um, because they, they're bootstrapping typically or they have very low budgets. And you know, offer to make a connection. I think paying it forward really has a good, and going VC, I know John Gannon is a proponent of this. It, it comes back to you tenfold later on. And I think um, you know, sharing your investment, creating an investment thesis around your person, where you invest, sharing it with VCs. And um, you know, now the VCs are, so when a founder raises, let's say a founder, has, you worked with them, you, you helped them, you made some introductions for them, you're not expecting anything from them. A couple things can happen. They start raising with some VCs that are, they love and they start telling the VCs, you need to meet Renata. And then you start, you get the intro and then you're starting to develop the relationship with the VC. And so I feel like it's this, it's this, it's like a circle, a circle networking type of function that happens and you have to be patient. Yeah. I can't remember the second part of your question. Well, that was actually the second part of the question. <laughs> That's why you remembered it. <laughs> yeah. But that, that was perfect because it actually kind of covered the part of what I wanted to know um, was, you know, that I had in my, was to how do you transition over to becoming an investor? And yeah. part of it is, is within, so I guess it's the, if we were to put a message out there into the, the universe, it says, okay, women entrepreneurs, minority owned entrepreneurs, this is what you have to do in order to feel like you, you can be at the, you know, one other person described it as being comfortable in your skin, not, and, and be, and believing, like you say, being triple prepared so that they're, they, they, they look beyond whatever your visual is because they can totally see the business opportunity and the wealth that they're going to, the return on the investment they're going to get out of that, right? And if you can come to the table with that, then you can remove some of that invisible barrier in there. And when you do that, then the mindset of switching over to becoming an angel investor too, to look back and help even as you might be an, uh, an active investor in a company as a, like an executive check, but always growing that. So yeah. Put yeah. Your insights into that. That wasn't really a question, but share your insights. Yeah, on. no, no, no. I, I, I think I know where you're going. Um, so I, um, I give a workshop at, Polsky Center, University of Chicago, Booth School of Business, where I went to business school. And I, I, I've done it a couple of times where I talk about leveraging your network. And I'm an expert network. I've been, you know, launched a net, networking company and, and I, I am a strong proponent of networking. And I hate that word, but it's more like relationship building. And I think it needs to come from an authentic place. It's not forced. So you have to really know who you are, know what you're good at, know what your personal brand is, create that personal brand online, like talk about it, write about it, show it. Um, but I talk about leveraging your network. Um, a lot of founders, when they meet a VC, they're like, can I have a check? Can I have a check? It's not about desperately getting the money. It's about you. It's not them just vetting you. You need to vet them. So I think a female, if you're a female and minority, you have to really know your, know your, your numbers. Talk to customers. Like if, let's say you're pre-seed or seed and you have some traction, like Talk about that you have an amazing advisory board, you know, you've got some leads, you've got, I mean, really kind of, you know, do that. And then I would say, 
you know, it's like a marriage, you know, you have to be interviewing these VCs. You don't want somebody on your advisory board that's going to ruin your startup. It's like having a baby. It's like being a mother and having a baby. It's like your third baby or second baby or whatever. I mean, you need to really vet them just like they're vetting you and it's got to be a working relationship. So I feel like someone, the way my approach has always been pay it forward, develop relationships with these founders genuinely. If you don't like them, say no. If you don't think they're going to actually make it, make, you know, do well, say no. But if you think they're great, offer them your time. And then, like I said, like you could be on their board, you could get common stock, you could eventually invest in them. You know, you can, so I think, um, I think making sure that you a have a personal brand, b pay it forward, and c you know leverage your network. I think that's those three areas as a female. Any 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 anybody who wants to get in a venture should do that, but especially women and minorities. I think, and you know what? If you want to get on the venture side, what what's been happening to me? I've been talking to so many different venture funds. Some of them I feel like are used car salesmen. I don't want to be working with a used car salesman. I mean, I want to be working with smart people that value my experience that I trust because I'm going to bring my network, my high net worth individuals, my LP network to the table, to the fund, and they trust me. And so if I'm going to join a fund that I don't, I, I don't want to work, I bring my, my, all this money to use car salesmen. Like they, it's, so it, it's got to be a two way street. So I feel like it's not just them interviewing you, you're interviewing them. Okay. So so you meant, you talked about going VC helping you on your journey, but you had been an angel investor before you got involved with them, or were no, that no? Out I'm actually a fairly new angel investor. Um, I've um, and and this is kind of TMI, but um, I just came off a very expensive divorce, so um, you know my capital has been limited. Um, but needless to say, what I have right now is brain power and sweat equity. Okay. So what I've been doing, quite honestly, with some of these founders is because I have the 20 plus years of operations experience leading global PNL teams and stage gate new product development, like really ground up stage gate new product development. I understand. And I've launched three businesses and CMO of another, like I know what it takes to launch a business. I, I mean, I can go be a CMO for a series B startup if I wanted to, but I prefer to like work with different startups is I have the brain power and the sweat equity and I contribute that. And I'm just securing um, a board, equity seat um, on, a, on a startup just from my time and my brain power and my network. And so I feel like, you know, you don't, it's great to write checks and you should be able to write checks and you will. And I, you know, I just wrote actually today, I just wrote my first series B check, <laughs> which is really, really excited. I've never done a series B, so it's, it's really cool, but I, I'm going to do a talk at going VC on how to be an angel investor, even when you have no money. And I, I, I think I made a quote to them. I said, did you know, if you gave up your daily Starbucks for a year, you could actually write a check to a startup? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I actually have a section in the, in the, um, one of the chapters in the book, Inside Secrets to Angel Investing is talking about all the different types of angels. And one of them is a professional angel that um, is successful enough in what they do that, and their expertise and all that kind of stuff that they can become an advisor to a company in exchange for equity. That's and what I did. Right? That's and exactly what I did. That, um, and get involved in helping these companies succeed. And you know, sometimes that's a great way to get started yeah. And it, until you're at a point where you could actually, you know, you got enough going on, you can, you'll stroke a check for something like that. But you, right. but 
that's also a great way to learn about the ups and downs that startups go through. Right. Um, and even if you've been in a startup that was successful, it doesn't mean that every startup is going to be successful, right. right? I mean, I've seen that plenty of times where you're like, well, why, how did that guy make it? He was lucky. Right. You know what I mean? Or right. he was in the right place at the right time. And this one had all the pieces, but just right. couldn't, right? And so sometimes it's really hard, but being in it and understanding the challenges, I think will make an investor much more empathetic when they're assessing it. I was on a, I was a business plan judge today for this gaming event. And um, afterwards, when we're supposed to be talking about who should win, man, these guys were just brutal. They were just like, and I find I just, I go, God, these were all startups. We didn't have the benefit of sitting down and saying, oh, you should pivot this, or you should have done this, or you should have said that, or you should have said that. This is what we're doing right now in the five minutes that they had to present, you know, is pick one that we think has the fundamentals to go forward. Yes, they're going to have to figure all that stuff out. But, you know, I think a big, that's compassionate capitalism. The, but the most successful angel investors, yes, they want to make money. That's the capitalist side of it. But the compassion side says, I'm going to put my money to work in, in entrepreneurs that I believe in, I think have a passion to figure it out and work at it till they succeed. Or there's, or because I just love what it is, the innovation they're doing, I think it's going to change the world. And it's better for me to put my money there, or a portion of my money there than just in real estate or stocks and bonds, right? Yeah. The other, the other thing I think that's for new angel investors that I've been doing is being part of angel like a membership group. So I just joined Plum Alley. I'm also going to join and be part of launching the Chicago chapter for Golden Seeds and they invest in female founders. And the thing about joining a kind of a community and you do commit, you have a certain commitment, but that you get to pick it, you, you see tons of deal flow. Right. So I think that that's a, I know that that's a really good first step because especially when you don't see a lot of deal flow and you don't want to just risk writing a one check into one company Maybe you want to have a certain amount, your budget for the year, and then you're going to see like hundreds of different deals. Yeah. So I feel like that's a good first step for someone who wants to get into angel investing. I agree. I agree. Okay. So as we start to, to wind down here, um, I want to cover a couple of key things. Um, so is there anything specific, like, cause you're net, you have run a, a, a network group for women business, business people, I guess, and not all entrepreneurs. Um, but there's so many times where women will have an idea of something that they want to pursue, but then they're not, their, their fear keeps them from, you know, getting out of their comfort zone to do that. Right. I, I, for a long, long time, Women sort of were the ones that did services businesses or lifestyle businesses, and they didn't go for big, bold things because they didn't, it was, it was access to capital was a big part of it and belief that they could get entry into those boardrooms of the male dominated venture groups or angel groups. So what would be advice that you would give to a woman that's listening to this wondering whether she should, should take a first step and actually have and become an entrepreneur? Is there some specific sure. advice you would like to offer? Sure. So one of the things I want to mention to you and to all the women is every single day in the United States, there's 1,800 startups founded by women a day. Wow. A day. And that includes not, it's not tech. That's everything from, 
you know, a mom and pop business to a yoga studio to a consulting business. So it's not just tech. So one thing I will say with, in relation to that is go after your passion. If you love yoga, launch a yoga studio or launch, you know, if, or if you're, if you love, I have uh, some of my members are female founders. They're like 60, 70% of my members. One has a uh, athletic wear and it's all girl power inspired. It's all graffiti. She's also an artist. So she, she paints these beautiful mosaics that are like graffiti ish and they have all these girl power words in them. And it's all about women empowerment. And she actually produces yoga pants that are exactly the same design. So somebody could have the artwork in their, in their, I have a one actually walk, walk you to it. It's a very empowering girl power. It has like Muhammad Ali's daughter on it. And it's about empowerment. And, and oh, I think it's quoting her, her dad, um, Muhammad Ali. Um, it's about, um, you know, impossible is just, you know, is, is, is not truth. Like it, 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 it's, 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 don't ever say anything's impossible. Um, and so wearing the yoga pants. So I, I think the number one message to women out there, if they have an idea, don't worry about, I'm not going to get invested investors. in. you, one of the things, the first question I ask founders, whether you're male or female is why did you launch this business? What's your story? And they say, they, and if it comes from a personal pain point, if it comes from a personal place, I, I keep listening. I still want to listen. But if it's just like, oh, I just want to make a lot of money or it's because I'm going to get investing or whatever, I don't really care because you're not, the passion's not there. And when you're really passionate about it, you're going to make it happen. So right. that's what I would say is go after your passion and the money's going to come. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and just have to sort of put in there and you do have to do the work of oh, figuring yeah. out who your customer is going to be and just assume, yeah. you know, for those. Oh, no, I'm assuming all of that right. for sure. Exactly. But, I'm, exactly. but I'm saying I know you are, but. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. But don't just launch something just because you're going to make it big. Right. Because you will encounter a lot of bumps in the road and setbacks. And if you're not passionate, it's hard to get through those you know, those, uh, those elements and maintain the fire in your belly that you have to exactly. deal with that, whatever fires you've got to put out in a day, even once you're up and running and in revenue and trying to figure out how to not plateau. Right. So exactly, exactly, exactly. Okay. So now, um, you had expressed an interest in, um, you know, trying to get access to more, uh, black and brown minority owned businesses is there, was there a, is there a certain reason for that? Or you sort of had your own kind of like a lot of folks have had that says we need to um, lift up the entire industry. And it's a, it's a component of our culture that, that needs to be gain access that they haven't necessarily had access before. So yeah. I'm going to be yeah. proactive in that. What's yeah. That? My story is a little different. It actually came before this black Lives matter. It came before time's up. It came before all this. It's not really because of that. I actually was in, and, and again, I don't, I, I'm going to say this in a positive light. I was in a marriage where my startup was not supported. I wasn't, I wasn't supported as an entrepreneur and I didn't have the, I didn't have power because I didn't, I wasn't making the money. Um, also it, at the same time, I was pitching to VCs that were predominantly all white men that didn't understand women. You all, we're, we're not a, it's a women's networking company what it, I don't get it. And you're a woman. I don't get you. I mean, they don't, they didn't look like me. And I think some men uh, understood the value proposition I was bringing. And I was revenue positive. I was scaling bootstrapping 
with no personal investment and no outside investment. It was literally pouring the revenues back into the business and scaling um, and membership growing organically with very minimal marketing. And so um, again, some of the men on the other side of the table said, oh, my wife would definitely want this. Can, I, can, we, can we exchange emails? <laughs> my wife has been complaining that she's been a stay-at-home mom and she wants to go back to work. She has no idea what to do. Can you help her? I mean, can you help me? I'm like, I need to, like, I'm looking for funding. So um, some of the men who had, were more baby boomer men had wives that were looking for their chapter two or even their chapter three. Some of the young, you know, younger men who had like wives that were, you know, with the babies and stuff, they weren't even thinking about that. So, so I think my impetus for getting on the other side of the table is that money is power. And whoever is writing the checks on the other side of the fence, they can make the decision. So because I personally experienced the pain point as a founder, um, and I have 60 to 70% of my members, female founders that are bootstrapping and revenue positive, and if they had an they could be all over the U.S., all globally. That's why I want to get on the other side of the fence. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you you crossed over to the other side of the fence. And so, so that would, is that the same message here as we close out that you would like to leave to peer women out there that are successful women, whether they're in the corporate world as an executive in a company or an investment banking kind of a thing. They've got a financial background. I encounter people all the time that make plenty of money to be an angel and investor and uh, struggle to get them to turn that switch in their head for them to go, oh, oh, I could do that. I could do that. They keep thinking about real real estate, but why couldn't they be an investor in entrepreneurism? So what would be something that you would would hope to plant that seed in in a woman that's capable of being uh, an investor to become an investor. Right. Well, I would say it's like, I, I like to look at LPs or investors at what, what's their portfolio. Like, like one third of their money's in real estate, one third money's in the public market. So one third of money is in, I don't know, like for one care, whatever, but let's split that up. Why not put a portion, you know, why put more of that money in the, in the public markets when, you know, if you look at some of the data out there, some of the private markets and venture capital are outperforming public markets. So let's yep. split that up. Let's talk to your financial advisor. If you don't have one, like I would ask them, where are you putting your money and what are the returns? And, you know, I would, that's how I would introduce the conversation. So for the women out there that do have money or even, you know, lots of money, little money, how are you allocating your wealth? And I want more women to take more risk in the, in, 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 in something they believe in. Maybe it's like, uh, you know, it, it, what area do you, are you passionate about? Like, is it, is it food? Is it nutrition? Sure. Is it, is it wellness? I mean, you can find startups and talk to your network. Who do you know as a founder? How can I talk to someone that has access to really, really good deals in the beauty industry? I mean, whatever it is, or even if it's tech or even if it's e-commerce or B2B commerce. I mean, I feel like women need to start taking more risk with, with their money. Um, and, and, and not just put it in the public markets, not just put it in mutual fund. I mean, they really need to, um, you know, learn about the private markets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And that was one of the things I think is so great about the Jobs Act, and I talk about it within the book, and part of the tools that come with the, um, the platform that you get access to when you buy it is that, you know, figuring out what is it that you know, right, is the Warren Buffett model. That's the passion side. And then figuring out, so these are the sectors or the types of businesses 
And then what is your risk tolerance? So that's the stage of company. And right. then what is, what's your capacity to invest? And because of the JOBS Act, you can participate in entrepreneurism and a caveat, number one way of creating wealth, generational wealth is to be a successful entrepreneur. The number two way is to be those investors in the entrepreneurs. And up until 2012, very few people thought they could do anything other than those ones that were already in angel groups that already knew it, the tech guys that made other tech guys that made tech investors, all those people. And it, it completely changed. The great economic democratization of the capital markets happened in 2012 with the Jobs Act. So whether you've got $2,000 or $200,000, you can participate in an entrepreneur deal. You just have to find, figure out where you are, start to learn, start small with willing what you're willing to lo lose, and to make a plan that this is how you're going to do it over the next five years and how much you plan to to put into your portfolio to have that mix within your portfolio. So exactly, exactly. exactly. Right. Yeah, no, that's great. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, I'm learning as I go too. And, and it is, yeah, you're going to lose some, you're going to win some, but I think it starts with, you know, understanding where to look um, and, and how to evaluate deals and how to, how to talk to the founders, the team, the product market fit, the industry, the trends. I mean, you have to really do your research to know, to get yourself comfortable in a comfortable place. And not just write a check because you feel you like the person. You really need to do the research. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, how if people want to reach you, is it best just to go through LinkedIn or do I you think have, LinkedIn? Or? I think LinkedIn would be the best for sure. Um, it's Renata Marino, and um, you can just message me through LinkedIn and just say you heard my podcast, and um, I'd be more than happy to talk to people. Okay, terrific. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I really think that we've had some uh, like great nuggets of information for the listeners. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you that. for inviting me. It's, been, it's an honor. It's an honor. All right. Thank you, Renata. Okay. Onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Compassionate Capitalist Podcast Radio, where we encourage individual investment in entrepreneurs to create generational wealth and best practices for small businesses to succeed. Help us spread the word about compassionate capitalism by sharing this podcast with your friends and colleagues. The Compassionate Capitalist podcast is available on most podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more. In production for over 10 years, there are over 180 episodes available for your listening and educational pleasure. With over 130,000 downloads, this podcast is rapidly becoming the top podcast for investors and entrepreneurs to get the information they need to create generational wealth through entrepreneurism. This podcast is brought to you by the Business Power Tools, which offers an online collaborative environment for leadership teams to prepare business plans, marketing strategies, financial modeling needed to attract capital and scale a business. Also, Lindio as a Entrepreneurs Resource Portal, providing access to dozens of lenders, offering short-term and long-term debt to help business owners manage their financial cash flow and growth capital needs. BizX, creating affordable advertising resources and other tools for entrepreneurs to succeed and create awareness and trust with their customer base. And Launch Funding Network, part of Cougarand Capital Holdings, 
It's a network of hundreds of angel investors, investor clubs and networks, venture capital firms, private equity funds, family offices, investment bankers, and lenders. Please visit karenrands.co to learn more about the Launch Funding Network and our sponsors and to sign up to get our Compassionate Capitalist Coffee Break and learn more about how we can help you succeed.